All right, we're going to continue the sermon series, and um, we've been talking about fear not for this whole month, um, because you know what? There's a lot of fear going on, and I actually believe that uh, there was a spirit of fear that was poured out on planet Earth, and you can see it in the reaction of so many people, so many different people groups, and in so many different ways, not only in our nation, but worldwide. And obviously, something like a pandemic, which uh, this is the first worldwide pandemic that we've had in 100 years. And so people are, 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 are very concerned about that. But then there's also the election and the racial tensions and all of these issues that are compiling and, and, and building upon each other. And there's like this tsunami of fear that's come upon the world, and I see people individually struggling with it, as well as a whole nation struggling with it. And so we just wanted to take time to examine Scripture and, and, and find truths uh, that we can be equipped with to fear not. Fear not is one of the most common uh, commands in Scripture. Uh, whenever an angel would show up, that's the first thing out of their mouth because uh, it was a scary experience. Fear not. And so uh, we've talked about fear not because God is present. Uh, that was one of the main points of the uh, message. Another one was fear not because the enemy is defeated. And then Pastor Mark shared about fear not because this is not the end of the story. And that the end of the story is, is, is positive. We can look forward to that. Today I'm speaking on fear not because God is omnipotent, the, the powerful, uh, almighty nature of the Lord that we worship. <clears throat> and we're going to start in a verse that is, you may find a little challenging. And I'm sure Jesus' disciples, when he first shared it with them, found it challenging. So let's just jump in and read it. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17. It says, But beware of men... For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. How many know what scourge means? It means to whip, all right, to beat. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. In other words, you're going to get in trouble with the government as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. How about this? You will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know, if Jesus was a pastor in our day, I don't think he'd have a big congregation. You're going to be hated by everyone if you join my church. That's one of the promises of Scripture. And not hated because we are hateful, but hated, the preceding verse, uh, talks about that uh, a disciple must be like his master. So hated because we're Christ-like. Scourged because we're Christ-like. Betrayed by family members because we're Christ-like. But Jesus promised us, this is what's coming. And then he said, he who endures to the end will be saved. Continues. On the basis of that promise, he says, therefore, do not fear them. 
For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. In other words, don't hold back, guys. In times of trouble, preach, preach, preach the gospel, communicate truth. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So that's the main, main point. Let's just unpack that for a little bit. There's no question there were genuine dangers that the saints were facing. The betrayal from family, being scourged, being arrested, even death. These things really, really were dangers. And you know what? Many of the early Christians suffered these things. And throughout the history of the church, that's been the norm. It's not the norm, what we've experienced in our lifetime, and actually for the last, really, several hundred years, is not normal for Christianity, for, to be in the place of safety and to be the, uh, a politically influential, influential part of the society. For most Christians, even today, worldwide, they suffer oppression because Jesus promised us. Fearful times are not new to the church, and God has not left us defenseless in those times. He gives us a powerful, powerful truth to battle whatever fearful things we encounter. And that truth is not to fear those who can kill our body, but can't kill our soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear the one who you really need to be afraid of. To not fear others, Jesus commands us to fear God. And when he talks about fearing God, it does mean awe and reverence. And often when we talk about the fear of God, especially in, a, in our church, we, we emphasize the father love of God and that, that God um, is, it cares for us and is nurturing. And that's absolutely true. But this word means be terrified. The truth that God is a loving Father does not erase or remove the truth that God is terrifying. And if you're not terrified of Almighty God, you have yet to meet the God of the Bible because He's terrifying. That's why everyone who encounters God's presence throughout scriptures reacts in such terror. John, the apostle, fell down as though he were dead. And that's a New Testament experience. And of course, the angel, where an angel is a representation of God's presence. They're, they're, they're beings that are always in the presence of God and they communicate the word of God and, and, and God shows up through angelic presence, and the angels reach out and pull them up. And, and, and in each situation where we, we see God show up, the response is, is being terrified. Now that terror is valid, but then we realize we, that also draws us in to a place of being in awe and reverence. Listen, this is the big idea here. Appropriate fear of God puts all of their fears in their proper place. When you have 
the fear of God as the most prominent, everything else that's fearful is not really that fearful. Does that make sense? All right. Fear God because God is omnipotent. He's so much infinitely more powerful than any other thing or any other one. And when we have that in right relationship, it actually diffuses the fear that other people and other things and other challenges of life attempts to instill in us. And then Jesus follows that harsh, powerful, challenging statement with this, and I love it because I think he said it with a twinkle in his eye. He was probably speaking outside and probably a flock of sparrows flew by just as he was speaking because he says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin or a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And I'm running out. (laughs) Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You know, I just cannot uh, read this without seeing... Uh, Jesus say that with a twinkle in his eye because he's communicating that we are valuable to God and that God is almighty. He's omnipotent and he's the one that we are to fear, but we are also to realize that we are valuable. The reason we need not fear, not only that God is omnipotent, but that we are valuable to God. That changes everything. An all-powerful omnipotent God that is not in relationship, that is mean or angry, that's scary. But an all-powerful, omnipotent God that values you to the point where he knows how many hairs, he knows details about you that you can't even know? Wow. And, and, And this just reveals something I want you to think about, that our value system determines what we fear. All right? Think about this for a little bit. Whatever you fear is a reflection in some way of what you value. If you value comfort most, then whatever challenges your comfort, you're going to fear. Because that thing or that person or that uh, dynamic will take away what you value. If it can take away your comfort, you're going to be afraid of that. You don't, want to, you don't want to be around that. It's going to challenge you. Or if you value possessions, if wealth and stuff is what you really value, and, and someone or something comes along that challenges that, that, that threatens to take away what you value, you're going to be afraid of that. Now, keep in mind, fear uh, uh, it demonstrates itself in many ways. Some people, when they're afraid, they withdraw. They become timid, they hide. But other people, when they're afraid, they get angry. Anger is often an expression of fear. Some people, when they're afraid, and this is a, 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 a lesson of interpersonal communication, especially leadership, if you're around somebody and they're just constantly talking a lot, like inordinately, often that's, that means they're, they're, in, they're a little afraid. They don't know how to interact, and so they just... Keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And until they get to a place where they're comfortable around you or comfortable in a small group situation or in a group area, then they'll calm down. They won't be so talkative. It's actually a fear issue. Other people won't say a word because they're afraid. 
So fear reacts differently, but it's all fear. And it reveals our value system. If we fear, if we value our reputation above everything, and someone walks in a room that threatens our reputation or something happens, we think we're going to lose our reputation, it stirs up fear and we react or power, anything, fill in the blank that you value, something that threatens that thing that you value will cause fear. And so when you're experiencing fear, ask yourself, what's being threatened in my life? What am I valuing? And maybe are you valuing that in a disproportionate way? When you realize that God values us, and in return, we value our relationship with him more than anything or anyone, we don't need to fear. This is, this is the lesson. This is the antidote of all fear. Because nothing and no one can take away our relationship with him. Nothing and no one can change the fact that God values you and that you can have value in relationship with him. And Jesus said this really clearly in John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that a great promise? And he goes on and says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. He's omnipotent. He's the most powerful being there is. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Being in relationship with God through faith with our, in our Lord Jesus Christ puts you and I in the most secure place in the universe. But remember, even while we're in that secure place, we will face challenges. Jesus promised that. People will hate us. We may get arrested. Uh, there will be betrayal. But we don't need to fear those things. They're real. But we don't need to be afraid of those things. Why? Because what's most important is our relationship with him and we're safe and secure and nothing and no one can take us out of God's hand. And then I'm gonna, we're going to change uh, channels here and go from the Jesus channel to the Paul channel. All right? That was a joke. Because uh, Paul addresses the same idea of God's omnipotence, but he, he addresses it from a different perspective. And this is Paul's letter to the Romans. And the book of Romans is one of the um, few places in Scripture where it really is a theological discourse. He writes a very long letter, one of his longest letters, as a way to explain the truths of Christianity to the people living in Rome, which he had yet to visit. And it begins uh, with uh, basically a, a, a rapid history of, of the human race. And we're just going to read uh, verses 20 through 25. It says, For since creation... For since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Uh, so they are without excuse. What, what that means is that in creation, the attributes of God, especially God's eternal power, his omnipotence, the almighty nature of God, and his Godhead, that he is, the, the, he is God, the nature of God, is evident in all of creation. It's, it yells the truths of God's power and God's person. So that they are with they being all of mankind. 
And then he goes on, he says, because although they knew God, and he's, he's kind of recounting the history of the human race, in the beginning, people knew God. They were created, Adam and Eve, and, and their kids, and in the initial generations, there was interaction. Yet over time, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, and became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So that's a summary of the human race, but you know what? That's a summary of, of mankind. In any age, that's a summary of a person's progression. If they don't know God, they, they become futile in their thinking. If they don't see the God of uh, power and, and, and God revealed in creation, they start thinking futile or worthless thoughts, and their, their, their hearts become darkened. So it's not only talking about the human race, it's talking about the human condition. That's as valid today with someone living in our day and age. Professing to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So he's talking about how they change from worshiping God to worshiping idols. You know, in our day, that's not real common, at least in the West. It is common in other parts of the world where there are actual idols that are made in the image of, of, of beasts and, 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 and people, and they worship that but it's basically getting to the idea that people worship the creation, worship stuff, rather than the God who made all the stuff. And it says, God therefore gave them over to uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. But this is the big point. They exchanged the truths that were evident in creation for the lie or a lie and worshiped and served the creature or creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So there was this exchange between worshiping, valuing, having relationship with an almighty, eternal uh, God that reveals himself in creation to worshiping stuff. And you know what? Even though we don't have idols in, in, in our day, in our society, we have idols, okay? They're technology, they're cars, they're houses, they're possessions, there's bank accounts, there's all of these things are just as idolatrous as a, a, a statue that someone may bow before. This is the big idea about God's omnipotence. Where is it seen? It's seen in creation. creation. The whole of creation is evidence of the Almighty God, and it is one constant, ongoing miracle. Think about it. Every day, you are walking 24-7, living in a miracle. When someone rejects God that is evident in creation, then they, they begin to think silly thoughts, futile thoughts, worthless thoughts, things that don't add up, and they, they can't see the truth that's being shouted at them and the evidence that we're, that's all around us. And you know what? We're all born into this. We're born into a generation, and, and for generations and many generations, people have been lost in unbelief and blinded to the reality of the power of God surrounding us. But it doesn't make it any less powerful, does it? Listen, think for a moment. That instead of thinking that, you know, well, this is just normal world and God has to show himself to us. How about if you were just 
all of a sudden, alone in space, empty space, and somehow you were able to breathe, and you were there, and there was nothing. No planets, no stars. And then you saw God speak everything into existence. The stars, and the sun, and the planet, and the trees, and the animals, and boom, it all pops up in front of your eyes. How would you respond? Would you sit there silently like you are now? No, you go, wow, it's amazing, what a miracle. Right? I mean, they pretend to do that in TV shows, and we think it's intense. All right? But God actually did it. But just because we don't see it happening in front of our eyes, from nothing to everything, we think it's not a miracle. You know what? Every moment, people say they don't have evidence for God. I'm saying, have you walked around? Have you been out in the woods lately? Isn't it crazy? The animals breathe in oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide. And plants breathe in carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen. Blow my mind! Scientists can explain some things, but the majority of how things work and the big question of why they work, they haven't a clue. And I'm not anti-science. I'm, 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 I'm intrigued by science. I love it. I love it. But I love how every week I read something that they find something that uh, they have to change, you know, basic understanding of physics. <laughs> You know why? Because we continue to discover the magnificence of God in creation. And so when you're driving down the road, especially right now, it's a great, great time of the year because uh, the fields are ripe unto harvest and, and the sun is beautiful and the, there's all the animals. When I ride my motorcycle, I look around and go, God, thank you. This is amazing. What a display of your power. And I get to partake of it. But someone else next to me might, might say, oh, it's just fields and trees. I'm like, it's fields and trees. How does a seed become a tree? It's a miracle. All right? But we're used to it. Now, this is the thing. God's omnipotent, but he's not Superman. He doesn't just swoop down and save the day. That's what Superman does. If somehow Superman gets his, your, his attention, if you get Superman's attention and you're in trouble, he may swoop down and save the day. But that's not how God works. That's how, God, that's how a lot of people want God to work. But I'm sorry. Uh, that's not how he works. God is active in our lives. He does do miracles. He, I've seen people healed. I've definitely seen people delivered uh, dramatically where their lives completely changed, and my life has been completely changed, and I've experienced physical healings that I cannot explain in a, in, a, in a natural, rational way. And he does miracles all the time. God intervenes into the natural world and does things that don't fit into our understanding of the natural world. But I just want to, this is how I understand it, and maybe it's helpful for you. 
I don't think that there's like a natural world and that a miracle is God coming down and like uh, doing something that is contradictory to his creation um, because God is always incarnate uh, in his creation. God is separate from the creation as the creator is separate from, as the artist is separate from the painting, but he's actively involved in every aspect of creation. All right? So for God to do a miracle, for God to heal someone uh, that has, uh, in, in, to, uh, in our understanding, an incurable disease, and he goes and heals them, to us, that's a miracle. But for God, it's like, oh, that wasn't really that hard. Because he knows how things work. Does this make sense? All right. And so the natural is this part of the supernatural that we happen to understand a little bit. So we think it's normal. But it's all one. It's all the work of God. And the supernatural, is this the part of the same natural experience that we don't understand yet? And so they're not disconnected. God is all around us, and his power saturates the universe. And yes, sometimes for his purposes, he intervenes and changes the outcome of something. And we want to see that, and we pray for that, and we believe for that. But he's not Superman, and he doesn't just come in and save the day. And if we limit God to a Superman-like being, then we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. All right? The creation story, listen, this whole basis of, of Paul explaining the omnipotence of God is based on creation. And the creation story, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the Bible, chapter 3 is the fall. Where was the Almighty God when Eve was being deceived and Adam uh, was tempted to sin? Like, did he have another appointment? Where was he? Why didn't he just show up and stomp that serpent and scare him away? Have you ever thought about that? A lot of people think, why did Eve do that? Why did Adam do that? Why didn't God intervene? He was right there. Jeez, he just created the whole universe. Was he unable? Did he lack the power? No. God was as present then as he is when we are facing temptation. God is omnipresent as well as omnipotent. All right? Listen to this. He was right there. When he showed up in the garden and said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know where Adam was. He was getting Adam to think where he was. Because Adam had left the presence of God but God hadn't left Adam's presence. Does that make sense? All right. And so God's purposes are bigger than Superman's. God doesn't want uh, a humanity that is uh, constantly doing the mistakes. You know, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. So when we fear God, when we realize his omnipotence, it teaches us how to behave, that we are to behave in a way that respects his authority, respects his commands. And God's desire is for a bride. <clears throat> the Bible is a love story, guys. And love requires a choice. 
And so where was God in those moments? And where is God in the moment that you're being tempted? He's standing there waiting to see how you're going to respond. Are you going to respond out of love for him? Or are you going to respond out of the temptation to give in to a, a, a temporary pleasure or to give in to a, a fear? Or are you going to fear him? He's right there, saints. <clears throat> and God's purpose is vastly more grand than Superman's. He intends to redeem all of creation and work everything together for good. I truly believe that when Jesus returns, every injustice, every aspect of humanity and creation and our experience that has suffered as a result of sin and error and Satan, somehow Jesus is going to fix. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna bring a response that brings equity and brings justice to every man, woman, and child. It doesn't mean that we aren't truly forgiven. We are forgiven when we come and confess our sins. But somehow Jesus is going to recreate the world in a way that compensates for all injustice. And that's where I hope is in this all-powerful God that doesn't just save me from a, a temporary uh, uh, problem that I'm facing, but actually intends to bring a new creation. And we read this in Revelations where John uh, saw in his vision the new heavens and a new earth, for the first heavens and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city. This is a vision that represents the return of and um, the restoration of all things in the resurrection. Uh, he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. All right, This is what the goal is, that we are in a love relationship with God. And it's depicted in this image as a bride prepared for her husband, and Jesus is the husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people God himself will be with them and be their God. And so that restores that intimate, uh, uh, daily living interaction that we lost in the garden that is going to be restored to all who respond to Jesus Christ. And it continues on and says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death. How many want to see that? There shall be no more death. That's, that's a lot bigger than Superman sweeping in and doing a, a quick fix. God's purpose is an eternal fix and a new creation. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. Come on! For the former things have passed away. Says the, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's very important to understand. That this phrase is the same phrase that describes us as Christians. When someone comes to Christ, they are new creations. When I became a Christian, I was still me. All right? And, and by becoming a Christian and through the process of sanctification, I'm becoming a new person, but it's still me. And when he says, behold, I make all things new, he doesn't say, I make all new things. You see the difference there? I make all things, all the things that were broken, marred, destroyed uh, through sin, Satan, uh, and, and the error of mankind, I'm going to make them like new. 
He's going to bring restoration. And he's going to make them better than they were before. And so every aspect of creation in the new creation is redeemed. And saints, that's the gospel. The gospel certainly is personal salvation, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's the redemption of all things. And so the question is, do we want Superman or do we want a savior? Do you want to simply be rescued from a, a, a moment of trouble or do you want to accept Jesus' invitation into an eternal love relationship? John says later in the book of Romans, says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the issue of lordship is, is really important because Superman doesn't require that before he comes in and saves the damsel in distress. But Jesus requires lordship. And that means you surrender your life to him, that you realize that he is Lord, that he's omnipotent and you aren't, that he rules and you don't, you serve. And you come into right alignment and right relationship with him as Lord and Savior. And then you believe that God raised him from the dead, that what he did on the cross, he accomplished for the redemption of you and your sins to ensure your eternity and the eternity of everyone that follows Christ. It says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the challenge that we have today is to face the real dangers in our lives, the real unknowns, the real scary things, with the knowledge of the omnipotent God who puts all of those fears in proper position far, far down on the scale because we have this awe and reverence and terror of an almighty God that chose to enter into a love relationship with us that we will live with him and be secure with him forever and ever. And if you have not made that, uh, that relationship secure, you can do so simply by doing what it says in Romans, by confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in your heart that he is who he said he is that he rose from the dead as a demonstration of his power over sin. Would you join with me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have life eternal. And Father, we thank you that we need not fear anyone or anything because we're safe in your hand in every circumstance. And I pray everyone here and everyone uh, watching or listening online, that they would experience the reality of your love that saves us and protects us from every fearful thing. And Lord, that we would then become messengers of your power and your love to the world around us. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.